He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to another episode of Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will be your host. Happy to be here once again with the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. (laughs) Talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Case, what's going on with you, brother? I'm preparing for long-term quarantine. I learned how to bake bread. Now a baker on top of my other lengthy list of things that I'm mediocre at. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> James? Um, since the last podcast, I have officially been married. I did it the way all little... Thank you, thank you. The way all little boys and girls dream of uh, via Zoom. <laughs> Part of the process that was very unsettling to me is that... Do you know that the questions you get asked when you are... Uh, filing for a marriage license are the following. It's, are you currently under the influence of drugs or alcohol? Which I think is probably a fair question to ask. But here's where things go off the the deep end pretty quickly. It's uh, that. And then it's, are you closer related than first cousins? Um, <laughs> which I feel like is already too close, but they just want to make sure you're not actually brother and sister. Um, and then it's, are you a registered sex offender? So those are the three questions I had to ask. And let me tell you, talk about three off-speed pitches uh, that I was not ready for at all when they asked me these questions. <laughs> slider, slider, screwball, yeah, huh? Yeah, all in the dirt, had me on my heels the whole time. <laughs> I wonder how many times someone has a- answered all three, or yes to all three of those. You get asked those questions and like you're like, uh, uh, no. And they're like, Oh, good. It's like, what if I if I said yes? What is the next steps here? <laughs> like, like, is that just kept on record? Like, what is the move? But are, yeah. are sex offenders not allowed to get married? Is that what I'm gathering? I don't know. I mean, there's no. I you know, I'm sure there's a way to find out, but I don't want to <laughs> Google any of those ways. <laughs> Google is our friend for such morbid curiosity. Right. Exactly. Warren. I was doing some work earlier today, and I was sitting at our dining room table, and a uh, a bird flew into the window, and killed himself. Guess with the news that uh, cats can get COVID, the bird got shit-faced, celebrating with his friends, and while heading home, flying under, flying under the influence, met his demise. Uh, services will be held tomorrow afternoon. All that, all that is completely true. There's going to be a ritual burial out back in the backyard? Uh, it'll be in the, the trash can, but yeah. <laughs> Stay away from the pet cemetery. Yeah. Now. What is dead man never die? No, we need zombie birds out there. Find it. Rigby, how's that that epicenter treating you? It's good so far. I mean, on my end, at least. Only going outside for essentials and seemingly washing my hands to the bone at this point. They're raw from washing them so much. But yeah, hoping this thing is um, over quickly and and we can go back to regular society. I don't know when that's going to be, but... um, Especially in New York, it's it's really sort of a somber place to be right now. So I see you running around there like Howard Hughes with a bar of soap, just like <laughs> shaking, washing your hands every every second you can. Seriously, and especially being holed up in your apartment, you get bad OCD. You also tend to. I've been drinking a lot more because it's so easy and convenient. <laughs> 
that's a summary of my the latest on my quarantine. Well, I'm excited. On my end, I get the honor to introduce the first guest ever from Munson's at the Movies. Um, no big deal. No big deal. Uh, we've got Dane Michael with us. He's um, a total badass. Self-proclaimed. Those are his words, not mine. Uh, <laughs> he, he produces and co-hosts the weekly cult film podcast, CF3, Cult Fans, Films, and Finds, which asks cult filmmakers and stars to rate their own movies for their patented cult filmometer. If it sounds anything like the Munson meter, I assure you it is not a coincidence. Welcome, Dane. A number of us have joined your podcast over... Over the past couple months, and uh, we're happy to bring you on. How does it feel helping us go into these unchartered guest waters? Well, I'm honored to be your first guest. And I was going to say that um, when you called me a badass, that you honor me, sir. But you were quick to point out that those were my words, <laughs> not your own. Uh, so you dishonor me. <laughs> Good luck getting more guests. I will now perform seppuku <laughs> per your request. Um, no, I'm I'm uh, very honored to be the first guest and hopefully the first of many and hopefully they get more remarkable as time goes on. Uh, like, yeah, maybe you'll get the Lou Diamond Phillips that you've been dreaming of someday. Amen. <laughs> I would like to comment on that. Um, I had the honest conversation with my now wife that I trashed Lou Diamond Phillips so hard on our podcast and he retweeted our tweet that I want to make it clear, any celebrity that comes on here, I will immediately turn into a shill for them and <laughs> act as if they are the greatest <laughs> actor I have ever seen. That includes Lou Diamond Phillips. Here, here. And, and Vanderbeek. Yep. All of them. Throw any any celebrity on this. <laughs> Everything I said is a lie and they're the best. Kevin Spacey? Yep. <laughs> you're like you're like fucking Jonah Hill from Get Him to the Greek at that point That's right. in time. That's right. What's that? African Child's the best piece of art I've seen in decades. It's incredible. Yep. Greatest, greatest act. Spacey? Are you kidding me? The greatest of all time. <laughs> nothing wrong he's ever done in his life. Oh, K-Pax. There's nothing <laughs> yep. wrong with listen, listen, I'm giving him a 97 on the... Um, Bingo. We had, we had some ups and downs with Lou. He, he retweeted my quote tweet and then case went straight <laughs> hashtag mania he went hashtag mania and mentioned like seven of his films and nothing not a nothing. damn thing in fact he he might have blocked me he listened to the podcast that's why <laughs> so th i think the defining the difference between the two was i mentioned his classic bats and he was like yeah and everyone should discuss bats <laughs> so and i know dane will 100% appreciate that. Like legitimately, I so one of his best friends is Ira Hyden from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, who we had on our show. And nice. and he has lured um, getting Lou Diamond Phillips on the show because I told him, man, I'll give you a finder's fee for anybody you can get me. And so he texted Lou Diamond Phillips the other day what? because I reiterated my offer because we want to talk about bass. <laughs> so when I listened to the Craig Robinson episode you guys did, I was so mad that you guys were just trashing him. I didn't know the Twitter history behind I, that, I was trashing him in defense yeah, of Yeah, leave me else. out of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a fan. I'm at a complete adoration here. James is the devil. Yeah, and I think I said I think I may have said he was in like a lot of erotic thrillers. I looked at his IMDb. <laughs> it looks like he was only nothing. It looks like he was only in like one. So I think I I think I was thinking of somebody else, but uh, when you parents. said that, it stopped me in my tracks. I was like, "How did 
how does someone just have that knowledge readily available? <laughs> someone that watched a lot of Skinamax. A lot just, of Skinamax. So, yeah, if you're listening, Lou Diamond Phillips, I apologize for associating you. Well, Dane, if you're able to pull him in, give, him, give us a shout out. Let him know we're looking for an actor to join in and help us rate a different actor. And we'd love to have Lou. Okay. I will. I will. My uh, audio broke up a little bit. Did you say Dane's last name was Munson? <laughs> Dane M. It has to be Munson. I, he's never told me his last name. So, um, just so for our listeners, Dane being our guest, a sixth Munson on the episode, we will go through the normal five films here shortly. And he was able to pick one of the films himself that is outside of those five to cover the performance. So that will be the. Uh, the commonplace approach going forward. And we do have other guests coming up. It's going to be a real awkward if this goes down the shitter and we have to tell them all we're not doing this again. So high, high hopes for you, Dane. Warren, as always, going to drop some IMDb birthdays on us for April 23rd. First off, we're going to go with Dev Patel, Slumdog Millionaire, Lion, upcoming Green Knight, starring Alicia Vikander. Ooh, yes. A little preview. So how, old is, how old is Dev Patel? 35. 32. 34. 39. Uh, 30. I'm going to say 37. He's 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, a, a, a young buck. Wow, we all shot over the moon on that one. I think it's because he's just been in the game for so long. He must have started acting really young. Yeah, like when Slumdog came out, he was, he was a baby. So then we're going to transition to Cal Penn. Harold and Kumar fame, Van Wilder, and TV's designated survivor. How old is Cal Penn? How you doing, Kumi? 41. Oh, that's a good guess. 45. 38. I think he's younger than you guys think. I will go 40 on the button. He's 43. Damn. And is that I Dane? Met, I, met, I met him at the Houston Rodeo a couple years ago. It was great. I had a couple beers with him. He was a very, very nice guy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Next up, John Cena. How old is John Cena? A blockers, train wreck, and WWE fame. Oh, God. He's got to be old as hell. Yeah. Uh, 44. 39. 35. I'm going to go 49, Warren. Yeah, I'm, I'm in that age range. I'm thinking 46. He's 43. Oh. So back-to-back 43? Yeah. Back-to-back 43. How old? Okay, last but not least, John Oliver. He's 43. <laughs> so Cal Penn, John Cena. <laughs> And John Oliver all turned 43 today. That is Damn. fucking crazy. They look so much different in age. Yeah, I know. That's exactly <laughs> why I was into football. <laughs> we'll have to pop out a tweet for that on that yeah. day because that's wild. That's a really cool fun fact. Thanks, Warren. So what we do every episode, we pull five actors from our mega list. That's around 700 actors at this point. So it is not small. Um, lots of options. The five that we pulled that we threw on the wheel were Lou Diamond Phillips, the aforementioned, Leslie Mann, Robert Duvall, Bob Duvall, big fan favorite this week, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, and Alicia Vikander. And as we've already discussed, we are going to spend some time talking about Alicia, her career, her as a human, and everything that comes in between. We always start with some trivia to learn a little bit about who they are and potentially someone from a Fast and Furious movie. So James, drop it. Correct. So what we do here is two truths and a lie. Um, Two of the facts will be Alicia Vikander facts, and one of the facts will be about an actor from Fast and the Furious. Use that information to deduct however way possible to answer this properly. I have struggled tricking the Munsons. Um, I hope that changes today. 
Fact number one, she has been a judge for the Miss Universe pageant. Fact number two, she's a classically trained ballerina. Fact number three, she went to school for three years training to be a chess master. Those are good. (laughs) Those are really good. (sighs) I'm going to go chess master, James. Okay. I know she's a ballerina, but one in three, I don't know. I'm going to go one. I'm going chess master as well. I wish you wouldn't have said that, Kyle, because I was actually thinking that... Oh, I could uh, be wrong. Don't listen to me. Vin Diesel might have been a ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm going to back out Dude, of that. that's fucking Luda, bro. She was not a judge. Yeah, I'm going one as well. Me too. Me too. Two for number... Three for number one and two for number three. Correct? Yeah. Okay. So you guys are all correct in the one that you thought was a fact. She actually is a classically trained ballerina and has over 10 years experience and tried to do that professionally before injuries forced her to stop. Um, And that's where she actually started focusing specifically on theater, television, and movies. The other one is fact number three is correct. She actually was training to be a chess master uh, when she was a child for three years. So my assumption, she's very private about her personal life and she only dropped that little bit of knowledge there um with not without expanding on it in an interview what i assumed there was she comes from very highly educated family who has been pushing her um to achieve things at a young age her entire life my guess is they realized that she was stunningly beautiful and probably very athletic and was like yeah maybe chess isn't for you maybe we should try (laughs) ballet and then fact number one, uh, she has actually never been a judge for Miss Universe pageant. That is a fact about Tyrese. <laughs> <laughs> the, the next question would have been, who do we think from Fast and the Furious yes, was yes. a judge? Spoiler so. alert, it is uh, the world-renowned and critically acclaimed actor Tyrese. I, I, I need a Gal Gadot trivia question next time. Keep us on our toes. Right. Well, James, you're always good at that, man. We appreciate you. That's why I'm here. Case, tell us a little bit about Alicia's snapshot in box office history. When I first started looking at her movies, I thought we were going to be uh, riddled with bomberoos. But then as I started factoring in the international box office, the movies she's in, they're just massive on the, on the world gross um, situation. Almost 70% of the total gross of her movies is world gross. Damn. That's crazy. So here's her top five movies. Jason Bourne, Tomb Raider, Seventh Son, Man from Uncle, and The Danish Girl are her top five movies. Of those five, which one had the biggest percentage of international gross? I'm going to say Tomb Raider. Yeah, my guess is Tomb Raider as well. I I feel like Tomb Raider is the obvious one, and it's something else. Like, it's uh, Seventh Son. He said percentage. So it's Danish Danish Girl made five times the international than it did domestic oh where she separates a little bit from the other actors we've looked at most of the movies that that have high grossing numbers for the other actors we've looked at have hit their they hit u.s gross and then that covers the budget and then from there on that's where they make all the money right like they cover the budget domestically and then internationally they just crush it She's only got one movie that covered the U.S., but uh, the budget with the U.S. Does anybody know which one that is? Ex Machina. No way, dude. I think that made like $10,000 opening. Yeah, it didn't make yeah. any money. Probably <laughs> Anna Karenina. I don't think it was Anna Kovalchuk. Born? I want to say it was... Uh, Jason Bourne? 
Is it, I was going to say Tomb Raider just because. No, that didn't because it was like 93 million and it made like 58 domestic. Jeez. Yeah, it was Jason Bourne. That was the only one out of those out of her top movies that covered with the U.S. I mean, she's just wildly popular internationally, which makes sense, right? I mean, where she's from, her background, I, I think that all makes sense in the big picture. But it was fun to look at this one because this is the first one that we've had that is so drastically dominant by international ticket sales. The other interesting thing comparing her to other people we've looked at is she has a she has the highest star meter on IMDb of anybody we've looked at, including Chris Pratt. Do you guys want to know what I am on the star meter on IMDb? <laughs> uh, you're you're roughly I think one oh nine. I think you're right behind her. Uh, you're way <laughs> off, man. I'm six million five hundred seventy four thousand seven hundred sixty six, and that is accurate. You can. You can look that up, and <laughs> that is what you will find. <laughs> That's the caliber of guests we bring in right there in the six million. I was rounding to 109. Oh, yeah, okay. pretty much 100. Yeah, it's right there. Rigby loves to hear that, that we're rounding up. He's very yep. happy about that. Absolutely. 100%. Well, some other notes that I dug up from her background, I think, before we get into her career, help to frame a little bit more about Alicia. She began acting as a child in Swedish opera, which is interesting. She also went to law school at one point and dropped out. And she got her first notoriety when she was on a lip-singing competition when she was eight that she won by singing a Swedish uh, ballad. Fun facts. Back in the day. So she's, she's always kind of been in the limelight in one way or the other, regardless if it was acting or not. Mm-hmm. So, um, But kind of what led to where she's at today. Between 2002 and 2010, she was in a lot of small-time Swedish television shows and shorts. She's from Sweden. You know, that's where she got her start. Uh, It wasn't until 2011 got her film Big Break, because she was in a lot of TV shows and shorts before that. She was in a movie called, it's a Swedish film with a name I cannot pronounce, uh, but the English translation is pure. She played Katarina, 2011. That was her big Swedish film break, and then she was in The Crown Jewels. Another one is Fragancia, Fragancia Fernandez, also in 2011. But it wasn't until 2012 that she really got her first uh, notoriety as an actress in A Royal Affair, and Warren has that one as her first feature film. Not a great start. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of this movie at all. You know, I acknowledge it was her first movie, but in, in my opinion, she played a really, really easy role. She handles it, and you know, being up next to Mickelson, who you know he's he's renowned, uh, especially over in uh, Europe at this time. And so, had she bombed, we probably wouldn't know who she is today. Don't really need to get too much into the details on a movie, but it is like, first off, it is uh, the movie was nominated for 2013 Best Foreign Language Film which blew my fucking mind. In the first 15 minutes of the movie, there's an arranged marriage, the queen hates the king, stepmom manipulation, a spiteful hand job, a cheating husband, a snowball fight, a pregnant Alicia Vikander, and a penile exam. So that's 15 minutes. (laughs) And the movie is seriously, it's just, it's like one minute clips over and over and over, and it, it constantly changes. 
time. It just jumps around. It feels like a rough three-part miniseries from the History Channel talking about this area in Denmark. So it's hard for me to really give a shit because really nothing happens. It's just like Mickelson and Vikander have a forbidden love seeing that she's a queen and he's not royalty. They bang it out. She gets pregnant. The most advanced system of contraception is pulling out and they're surprised they're having a kid. Her husband hasn't tapped it in over a year. What are they going to (laughs) do? Make the husband think it's his. People start talking. Oh yeah, there's some political stuff that just doesn't resonate. Thus me not mentioning it. It's a lot in two hours and 15 minutes, uh, especially with subtitles. When you compare it to another movie with subtitles like Parasite, Parasite was over in a, in a flash. Uh, this one was, it was brutal for me. She doesn't really have to do much for it. And so like my, my deductions from the movie and everything, it's not really based on her. She's an innocent bystander in this one, but you know, it being nominated, I guess I didn't really see what else was nominated that year for language film. Uh, it's got a 90 on Rotten Tomatoes, 82 audience. Uh, for me, it's about a 20. Damn. Ooh. I, I recognize that like it's competent enough of a movie and it looks nice. There's definitely value in it. Yeah, I mean it was an eight million dollar budget. There were four or five times I had to hit pause to see how far I was into this and I would just yell yell being pissed off at how much was left. So it just it just wasn't my thing. And so maybe <laughs> this is going to be a recurring thing for me throughout this whole podcast, dealing with a lot of her movies. Well, it's a it's the first of a of several yeah. period pieces from her, so it's a it's a theme. I you know I went into it because I watched it as well. I, I went into it with really low expectations. I thought it was going to be a turd, like twenty level. I actually align more with where the critics and the audiences are because on IMDb it's rocking a mm-hmm. seventy three Metascore and seven point five from the crowd. I liked it. I thought it was in the seventy to eighty territory. I thought it ended up being a pretty good story, driven mostly by Mads Mickelson being this en- enlightened douche. <laughs> basically him coming in and and changing the landscape of the of the Danish political system by basically turning the the current idiot king into a puppet. I was surprised at the depth of the story. But again, I think that goes to show, uh, cause I usually hate period pieces. They drive me nuts. I can usually can't sit through them. Um, and we'll talk about Anna Karenina here in a second. My thoughts on that as well. Um, I'm different from you. I actually liked it. I was like, that wasn't a way it's long. I agree with you. It's a long movie. I don't get the glamorization of the middle ages. Like there's no power. No one takes baths and people are bonding over their likes of books. Like what a fucking bore masquerade balls like <laughs> oh my god you're wearing this mask over a half of your face i don't know who you are like that's erotic fuck off <laughs> the uh the first 15 minutes that you described your tone made it clear you thought it was negative uh i was captivated by what you were talking about <laughs> I, I, i'm I assuming the movie isn't good but the the details of those first 15 minutes sounded uh, outrageous i could put this in an audiobook and it'd be a minute and a half long and you'd probably say this thing's Pulitzer worthy. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. He says it's terrible, but you look at the ratings on both sides. Most people like it. So choose your, yep. your adventure on that yep. one, James. See where you fall on the Warren or Hickman rating. Well, 20, so 2012 was a big year for her. She had a Royal Affair. She was nominated for a BAFTA for Best like Emerging Actress. She started to get some fanfare for her role in that. And then she was also in Anna Karenina which is the largest critic gap. So a film, um, in this case, the the critics 
enjoyed it at a 63, and the audience is a little bit lower at a 50. And Rigby is going to talk about that one. Anna Karenina is a Russian novel from the 1800s that's been adapted a lot in film, most recently, I think, from the 80s. Alicia plays Princess Kitty, who is related to the title character, Anna Karenina, played by Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley's character, Anna Karenina, is a Russian socialite who's married to a powerful count named Jude Law. And the thrust of the story is that she's basically tasked with this moral sort of decision of choosing. She's in love with this with this officer who's a dashing young guy who's, who's also um, in love with Anna Karenina. They have an affair together, and it's basically her trying to decide sort of which life to to choose the the popular socialite life with an unhappy husband or an unhappy marriage but yet a loving kid or the affair and sort of the loving sort of love affair with the with the with the officer. Alicia Vikander's character comes into this because she is also in love with with officer Vronsky, sort of the dashing young young guy that um, is sort of the, the heartthrob of the movie. I guess her role sort of ends with her being courted by Donald Gleason's character, who's played by who's uh, named is Levin. Donald Gleason's character it has a courtship for Alicia Vikander's character. She initially declines him, but in the end, they fall madly in love with each other and end up getting married. Uh, Alicia Vikander didn't really have to do much with this role. Except look gorgeous and also be sort of, sort of vulnerable, uh, but also charming. And when I say vulnerable, I mean because she gets her heart broken by uh, Officer Vransky, who she's also in love with. In the end, like I said, she she does fall in love with somebody, and that's Donald Gleason's character. I did read just a little research on her role in the movie. She said that filming it was one of the most fantastic adventures I've ever had, and that was, I think, for two reasons. One. The, the whole movie is, is supposed to take place on the stage, so it's very ambitious and very sort of unlike anything I'd ever seen, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and they also shot it in, like, bumfuck Russia, like, way, way northern Russia. I, I think I remember her an article saying it took them, like, three days just to, like, get to the set or something like that, which is crazy. Another interesting thing, we, we mentioned how she's obviously from Sweden. She had never done a British accent before. She said that the accent that she's – the foreign accent that she's used to playing is an American accent, and so she had to do – a British accent. She said it was very sort of difficult to fine tune. She had to get like coaching on it. And so I think it was, it was a challenging role for her overall where she stood in the movie. I mean, she's probably like the fifth or sixth most vital character in the movie. Yeah. Um, kind of a small role. She plays what, what they asked her to do. She plays perfectly. And that's be gorgeous, have a very charming personality, play the heartbroken sort of princess role really well. And I think she did that. So without getting too much into the plot, just because it's there's too many fucking counts and princesses and shit to count, <laughs> but the movie itself loses me about 45 minutes through. It gets tiring and very boring. That's not her fault. Um, it's nothing that she really contributed to in any way. What she was asked to play in that role, I think, I think she was perfect for it. So um, while I would give her performance strong notes i would not give the movie strong notes i would probably fall more on the i think i don't remember what the gap was but i'm just on rotten tomatoes now and i think it's 6350 50. uh i i'd go I, and that's perfect because i if i was doing it on the four star rating i would give it two stars so i think i think i'm on the 50 percent range as well i mean it's an ambitious project much like you i was engaged the first half of the movie i think aaron taylor johnson's character was intriguing for a while there and then the second half just i, d- I just got bored at yeah. a certain point the tone changed of the film 
I like the way it ended. Even Elisa Vikander's character, and really the only person you like kind of feel for is is um is Anna Karenina and Donald Gleason. That's that's those are the two that I really had like any sort of like emotional feelings towards. Like I actually cared how their characters ended up. You know, the other ones I didn't really care. What's interesting is she went from learning Danish for a royal affair and then having to rock the British accent in the same year for Anna Karenina. She said good things about the role, and and it sounds like it was definitely a learning experience for her, and she was happy that she took it. I don't think the movie was anything to write home about. So those two roles, right, kind of set her career on on a trajectory to get into American, especially Anna Karenina getting into American film, which, uh, based on the research I was seeing, was, was her goal. Right, to move outside of the Swedish space and to become a big-time actor. And those two roles allowed her to do that. So between 2013 and 2014, she was in four other films before we get to our next coverage. Uh, that first one was The Fifth Estate. I believe, Rigby, you saw that a few years back. Yeah, I did. Um, I don't really remember her role. Um, so I'll just, really, I'll just say a quick thing about the movie. I remember not liking the movie, and that's because I love Benedict Cumberbatch and really wish they had let him do more with the role. I just don't really remember Alicia's role in it. But um, if you want to watch a good story on the Julian Assange saga, I would recommend the documentary risk from a few years ago on, on Assange. It was really good. So, but the fifth estate was nothing to write home about. And as, as Craig would say, I remember it. I think it was a bomber at the box office or whatever he <laughs> called it, whatever, whatever he referred to it earlier. <laughs> In 2013, she was also in a film called Hotel, another Swedish film. And also in 2014, she was in Son of a Gun. She played a character called Tasha. It's available on Netflix. In 2014, we run into her largest audience gap. Um, In this case, the movie is The Seventh Son. It has a... (laughs) When we talk audience gap, we mean audiences gave it a 34 on Rotten Tomatoes, and critics gave it an 11. So the uh, the ratings are, are incredibly low. So cases going to have that pleasure. All right. So as we were talking about this, I looked up something. She had a really good 2014-2015. On IMDb, they have a poll of seven movies. 2,200 people voted. <laughs> the Seventh Son got 65 votes for her best movie. Now, I could only chalk that up to the casting crew. That's about it. It's <laughs> a nepotism vote. <laughs> the top vote was uh, was well over twelve hundred. It, it was a uh, forgettable film, but I'll get into it. After watching this five or six times and never being able to finish it in one sitting, oh, I personally felt like it was a combination of Game of Thrones meets Lord of Rings meets Romeo and Juliet meets Star Wars episode four through six. With a really strong cast in a made-for-TV movie. Damn. Yep. That's my that's my review. That's my review. <laughs> it's a story about like a supernatural hunter played by Jeff Bridges named Master Gregory. He's he's so bad in it, guys. It's awful. And, and this is part of the problem, right? It's got six credited writers on nice. it. Nice. So six different people helped write this movie. So it's so disjointed. The director was on. I mean, in interviews about the movie, he talked about how the producers kept taking away control. The movie is written off of a book from the series, The Wardstone Chronicles. And this particular story came from the book that was titled The Spook's Apprentice. For obvious reasons, it was changed to get get released in the United States. You know, I, I'm not going to go into it, you guys. It was it was just a very, it just wasn't a very good movie. 
It's a bad movie, man. You know, it came out when when Game of Thrones was huge, when other other shows of that genre, other movies, and I just think they were trying to capitalize on. Uh, I think they got some talented people. Uh, I just think the project went awry from too many cooks in the kitchen. As it relates to, you know, Elisa, I, I think this is the movie that got her Laura Croft. So I, I think that was a positive thing out of it. And then one other interesting note from this movie. Her, this is the first time her and Julianne Moore worked together. During the filming of this movie, there was a male character that was never disclosed that made an inappropriate comment to Alicia. And Julianne Moore jumped up and she said, if you ever do that again, I'm walking out of here and I'm not coming back. Don't you fucking say that again. Damn. And then that was, that was the end of the story. The cool part about this is, is they're going to they, they reunite here in a project coming up. Um, in the Glorias, where Alicia plays the younger version of Gloria Steinem and Julia Moore plays the older version of Gloria Steinem. So that, that's an interesting side note to this movie. But it, it really felt like there was a lot more substantive drama and action off the screen than, than there was meaning the full action and drama on the screen. That film marked a little bit of a departure for her, too. I mean, Son of a Gun was a little bit, diff- obviously, very different than her period piece work in Testament of Youth and Anna Karenina. Uh, and Seventh Son, going into like this sci-fi world, definitely different type of role. Uh, but unfortunately, it was a pretty unforgettable or <laughs> forgettable project. 2014, as you mentioned, Craig, was a pretty big year for her. And uh, we hit Ex Machina, which I think really drove her to stardom and, and James he drew the uh, the long straw on this one because this was probably the best movie of the five of the six that we covered going into this week debatable <laughs> if you love Tomb Raider right we'll get the, we'll get there so I'll start with saying that when uh, Alicia Vikander was one of the options I was a little turned off by the idea because the only thing I knew of her was Ex Machina and I was like oh I mean she's been in one role right and then I you know, did some research for this podcast and realized I'm just a big idiot. I was proud that the option I got to view was Ex Machina, which is legitimately one of my favorite. So I'll give a quick plot synopsis before I break down my thoughts on the movie, especially her role and performance. I'll go with uh, Domino Gleason. <laughs> uh, I also don't understand how there's that many consonants in his name. He plays the main character, Caleb, who is a kind of nerdy computer program at an internet search giant that kind of reminds you of like Google. He wins a, competi- a company competition to spend a week at a private estate with the company's uh, you know, brilliant CEO who's played by Oscar Isaac and who is tremendous in his role. Upon his arrival, Caleb learns that Oscar Isaac's character has chosen him to actually take place in a human uh, and be the human component in a Turing test. And a Turing test is a test which actually uh, asks humans to ultimately determine the consciousness of artificial intelligence. So immediately you are like, oh, this is super fascinating. The experiment in this is uh, known as Ava, and that is Alicia Vikander's character. She's a robot whose emotional intelligence actually proves to be very sophisticated, uh, deceptive, and human. To avoid spoiling the many twists and turns that take place in this movie, I won't go into the plot any further. The movie had a budget of only $15 million. The vast majority of it went to the CGI needed for Vikander's character's body and nothing else. So in the role, it is her face, um, but you clearly see like a beautifully designed robot body and mm-hmm. it jumps off the screen, but it's 
that's about it when it comes to the special effects. So even with the special effects not being close to the main focus of the story, and instead they're just kind of used as a way to confirm with the audience that Vikander is in fact a robot, the movie won an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects uh, and beat out a Star Wars movie and a Marvel movie. So that's a huge accomplishment on such a small budget. This movie is a suspense and mystery thriller first, and it's a sci-fi movie second. It was written and directed by Alex Garland, who is the writer of, I think, a movie that reinvigorated the zombie genre um, to what it is today in 28 Days Later, which is a classic zombie movie, um, as well as the sci-fi drama that came out a few years ago, Annihilation, which is actually one of my most recent favorite sci-fi movies as well. So he clearly is a talented writer. Um, This was his directorial debut. What makes this movie great is that it expects its audience to be smart enough to not need unnecessary dialogue or exposition in it. And it just simply shows you what you need to see to understand what is happening. So they don't explain things in great detail. You just see it on screen and you go, I think that's what's happening. And you're correct. I think there is a total of five characters in this movie and only four of them speak. It's a movie about ethical issues of creating artificial intelligence and the massive impact it could have on the world. But it's told in such like an intimate setting and only through the experiences of those few people that it makes the audience feel as if you're actually taking the Turing test and questioning what you would do in this scenario. I love this movie, as you can tell. It completely absorbs me. Uh, and every time you're sitting there thinking like, what is the right thing to do? What would I do differently? Um, Vikander in her role is great as this vulnerable and delicate girl who just happens to be man-made. The way she's able to emote these traits just through like simple gestures, changes in her tone of voice, uh, the way her eyes look uh, at certain characters and trying to signify something, even through just few lines of dialogue, uh, it showed me that she has the talent and the skill of someone way beyond her in years of experience. Um, it's one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. And it's a testament to like what can happen with a low budget, but a great story, talented actors, and a great director. I could not recommend this movie more. I said, how did you feel shaving your head and growing out a beard and playing Nathan in this movie? <laughs> uh, so... Maybe that's why I enjoy uh, Oscar Isaac's performance so much is because uh, we look alike. Um, It's either that or uh, I think he stole every scene he was in, man. I think he plays this great, arrogant kind of tech bro misogynist. And every time he's on screen, you're like, oh, he's kind of funny. He's kind of a dick. And then by the end of the movie, you're like, all right, my feelings were actually justified. Uh, Yeah, he's absolutely a dick. Um, But... This was kind of before he, you know, exploded in fame with uh, the Star Wars roles and whatnot. And so I was pleasantly surprised the first time I watched this movie. Yeah, that scene where he's dancing with the uh, one of his women, one of his girls is just it's crazy. It's so cool. One of the most unintentional, maybe it was intentional, but random and hysterical things to add to a movie about artificial intelligence is a planned choreographed dance. <laughs> <laughs> like, look what I can make the robot do. See, yeah, like, loves of it. all the things you would choose for a robot to do, be like, no, we're going to have a dance routine. You're like, all right, that's fair. That's cool. Like, I, you know, I'm, I was judging you before, but that's actually a great party trick to just break out. I, I watched this 
yesterday, and it was my second time watching it. The first time I watched it was a couple of years ago, and I think expectations kill a movie. You know, I, I'd gone a while without thinking about it. I watched it yesterday. I did enjoy it considerably more, just kind of watching it for what it was at this point, because I already had these expectations. I did enjoy it considerably more, but the, my one question was, do these people live in a world where Terminator doesn't exist? You know, becoming self-aware and whatever, all that stuff that happens in the movie, like... I don't know. I, I feel like watching it again, maybe it was because I already knew what was going to happen. Or I was just like, how did, how did we not see this happen? Like, how was this not going to happen from the very beginning? Warren, to your point on that, though, like, think of real life situations where everyone's like, haha, we did that. And look what happened in the day after tomorrow. And you're like, oh, shit, that's actually happening again today. Like, that conversation of how dumb are people? The, it's been answered 20 times over in society. We're really dumb. And it doesn't matter how many times we tell the same story. People are going to do dumb things like, I mean, a robot won't want to kill us all, right? Nah, who cares if it's only happened every <laughs> that time was in every fiction, story? Bro. Yeah. You don't see me fucking with it. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree <laughs> That's an interesting people question. People are dumb, and so people therefore will do dumb things. But you'd figure smarter people who you know have the capacity to perform a Turing test and all this stuff I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much because we can't really like give it away. <laughs> what, what I will say is this movie sparked a conversation between me and uh, the wifey in which we had a conversation of what we would do if, you know, the robots took over the world and we were in unison, like I'd immediately turn and be whatever the robots need me to be. They're going to need humans for something and I will graciously <laughs> accept them as my new leader. <laughs> And they're going to need a designer, right? Yeah, for their dude. marketing efforts. And whatever that economy looks like, they're going to need humans somewhere. They're like, yeah, I'm on your team. Humans stink. Let's go robots. I'm all about <laughs> it. <laughs> so 2015 to 2017, um, after the stardom that came with Ex Machina, uh, Alicia was in a number of films. I mean, there's a lot in those three years, um, that three-year time frame. And that's a testament to some of the work that she'd done, especially in Ex Machina. So 2015, she's in Burnt, um, a movie that had a lot of hype, but just didn't quite meet those expectations. Rigby, I know you saw it. I've, I've only seen it once, but I remember she played his Bradley Cooper, who's the chef who um, sort of has like a professional, I guess his career sort of goes up in flames. Um, I can't remember the reason why he, why he, why that happens, but he um he was like a dickhead and got fired. Yeah, and yeah, he, he's, he's like a he's like manic depressive too. I think. Yeah. Um, but she, Alicia Vikander, plays his ex girlfriend, who sort of is like the supporting, um, you know, wants to see him get back on his feet, sort of role. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I as far as I can, t- as far as I remember, she was she was good in it, and but the movie was just bad because it was just sort of, it was like you didn't really know. He didn't really have any sympathy for any, any characters, especially Bradley Cooper. Well, 2015, uh, we run into her role in The Danish Girl, which won her her first Oscar at a very young age. Um, and she played Gerda. And I, I have a feeling everybody on this podcast has probably seen The Danish Girl at some point. Uh, not me. Oh, Dane. <laughs> the Oscarologist. Has of not all seen people, it. I thought you would have seen it. Your name's in the title. Right. Well, I have seen the highlights. I watched Danish Girl yesterday, and uh, 
I, I understand the significance behind the movie. I, I think that Eddie Redmayne did a really good job. I was blown away by uh, Alicia's role in this movie. Like, of all the characters in the movie, she made me feel things. Yeah, it was just like she had, she was between. <laughs> Uh, she was between a cock and a hard place. Um, <laughs> she's, she's basically like she has to be supportive, but her heart's being broken, and then she's there and she's scolded, and you know she wants to do things for herself, but then she's selfish, and so she is just like of all the characters, she is a roller coaster and I completely understand why she won best supporting actress. My critique actually of this is not of her at all. Cause I think she was great. And I agree. I think she deserved to win the Academy award. Yeah. I don't think she's a supporting actress in this movie. No, I think she's the actress. star actress in this movie. Completely agree. Um, I think Redmayne is the main uh, actor and I think she is the main actress and I don't, think just because the story is about Eddie Redmayne's character, I don't think that makes her the supporting character. I mean, she has just as much screen time. And that was my one critique is like, oh, yeah, she totally deserves an award for this. But uh, I'm pretty sure she's the star of this movie. D- Dane, what do they call that? Category fraud? Well, yeah, it's category fraud when, uh, when you have like a huge role and you run into supporting. Same thing happened to finally get Viola Davis her first Oscar for Fences. She was, you know, a total lead actress in Fences, Mm -hmm. but they campaigned her in supporting because of the competition, and that's how they got the win, and that's how they get their movie seen. Yeah, because I do know Eddie Eddie was up for Best Actor, but he was nominated for the role of Lily and not whatever his Danish name was. It was just interesting. It was all over the place. The next three years, I'm going to fire through these pretty quickly. Uh, we've got The Man from Uncle. She played Gabby, kind of a spy thriller with Army Hammer. Um, she was in Jason Bourne in 2016. She played Heather Lee. She was in The Light Between Oceans. She played Isabel Graysmark. Um, probably the most noteworthy part of that role because uh, she played alongside Michael Fassbender. That's when she lit the candle, lit the flame of her uh, relationship with Fassbender and their currently married they met at tiff in 2014 but when they worked together on that project that's when they they really hit it off so um that's a big part of her personal life the movie itself didn't really make much of a mark but um, i'm sure she looks very fondly on it given everything it's given to her at this point Um, (laughs) all right (laughs) i gotta pop that in there uh 2017 she's in three other films she was in submergence which we could do a whole podcast on and how much of a train wreck that one is um she's in there with james mcavoy um she does pretty well in a dramatic role but there's not much to say about that film itself other than probably negativity and we should probably save that can't say anything nice don't say anything at all she was also in birds like us a 2017 german animated film and euphoria uh, before we get to the the film that i think probably is the most interesting off the screen not necessarily on the screen, and Tulip Fever. And that is the lowest critic score. I'm the one who covered this one this week. Um, let me give you... So let me start with this. How many of you, before we set up this podcast, had heard of the film Tulip Fever? I'm just looking at the cast right now. and I'll let you get into that. Nope. Negative. Nope. I still have it. Okay. So the, the cast is insane. 
Okay. So the cast, much like the film we talked about earlier uh, in Seventh Son, Lisa Vikander, Christoph Waltz, Jack O'Connell, Judy Dench, Tom Hollander, Cara Delevingne, Zach Galifianakis. Um, there are three Oscar winners in this cast. It was filmed in 2014. I remember listening to kind of the channels of like indie film and stuff. People were starting to talk up Tulip Fever. This is movie coming down the bend with all these great actors. It's going to be this awesome film. And then I just didn't hear anything. And it's one of those films that after a while you were like, is this film actually ever going to release? And I, doing the research, I learned that after being filmed in 2014, it had its first test screening in November of 2014. Hmm. Uh, it went awful, right? So they went back to the drawing board and they originally scheduled it to release in t- June 2016. So almost two years later. So they took this thing for a year and a half and re-engineered it. It got pushed again to July 2016. It got pushed again to February 2017, pushed again to August 2017, and finally released September 1st of 2017, three years after it was filmed. Um, And apparently it was put into theaters, but I I pay a lot of attention to theaters. It must have been a very limited release. Um, And after watching it, I kind of understand. So with all this said, I went in with very, very low expectations. Other little nuggets for you guys to know, like I mentioned, very interesting offsite. Uh, it was originally set to release in 2004 with Jude Law, Natalie Portman, and Jim Broadbent playing the major roles. Um, it was pulled, the plug was pulled 12 days before production started because of a tax law change in the UK, and the budget ballooned up by $17 million. Uh, it was owned by Weinstein Company at the time, Miramax, and as a result, they were like, yeah, we can't produce this movie. So it started in 2004. It took 13 years to make the movie. And apparently it was Tom, Tom Hooper who was originally going to be the second director. And then he had other things that, that were taken over. So Justin Chadwick came in and took the project. Um, it's got a 6.2 uh, and a 38 on IMDb. So not great critic reviews. And on Rotten Tomatoes, a 43 audience and a 10 um, critic score. So it's truly earned its lowest critic rating. Um, so that's like all of the off the camera stuff. It, it's got this legend to it. The film itself is called Tulip Fever because it is during late 17th century Amsterdam during the tulip mania. Did you guys know there was a tulip mania in 7th century? And didn't? Yeah, right. Shocker, I learned a period piece. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the whole concept is there's like this market. It's like Wall Street, but of selling tulip bulbs. Riveting. That's where the that's where the original bubble began, right? That's where they figured out that too much oversupply of something can lead to a bubble. I think that was from the tulip markets in, in Amsterdam. <laughs> well, yeah, the whole the whole, whole thing went to shit. That's what the, <laughs> yeah. the teachers do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a legitimate thing from an economical economic standpoint. I, that, that that alone was fascinating. But basic idea is uh, Christoph Waltz plays this. Guy Cornelius, who uh, remarries to Alicia Vikander's character, who is this like poor, in poverty young lady, kind of a forced arranged marriage deal. He's had two kids, but both of them died, including his wife, and so he really wants a kid with a new wife. The idea is that their housekeeper ends up getting pregnant by this other guy played by Jack O'Connell. She doesn't want the kid because Jack O'Connell ends up getting sent to the Navy. And Lisa Vikander doesn't want to have Christoph Waltz's baby. So they do this base, this switcheroo, how they pull off a nine-month pregnancy to pretend like it's Alicia Vikander's kid. 
that's a really good question. Tom Hollander plays the doctor and somehow convinces him it's legit. Um, so it's this like weird, non-realistic switcheroo they try to play on Christoph Waltz's character. By the end of the movie, it all gets exposed when Zach Galifianakis's character doesn't go seal the deal on a tulip bulb. He gets drunk out in the streets and eats it. Is this a comedy or is this like a serious movie? <laughs> no, it's not. It's a serious movie. He, the, <laughs> uh, homeboy is getting like sh- shook down by all these people who need money from him because he made a bunch of money off this tulip bulb and they send Galifianakis' drunk character out to get it. He gets it, ends up finding his buddies, saves someone from a fight, eats the the really expensive bulb and then everything goes to hell at that point. Yeah, James, I'm imagining like <laughs> yakety sax playing during this whole thing. Yeah, like, dude. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the cinematography is pretty good. The shots are are solid. I'll give it that. But other than that, it's it's better than I thought it would be. I wouldn't give it the 11, right? Uh, I would give it like a 30 or a 40, closer to the IMDb critic score. But it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a little... It's a little too far-fetched to be considered anything taken seriously. But Lisa Vikander, I, she does decently well. I mean, she's at times unconv- unconvincing. She has a really f- comical fake puking scene during this whole charade. But she's portraying a woman who's burdened with guilt after she basically screws this guy over who's already lost two kids and a wife and <laughs> lies to him about a child. Sounds like a comedy. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it might be better if it was a comedy. I think a lot of it was the expectations were high starting and then just fucking plummeted after the whole production schedule went to hell. I feel like whenever you know a movie has been screened and then gets chopped up and rescreened, I mean, I can't imagine it's going to be a film that's anything anything good. I agree. The major failure of this movie is that it expects you to care about the tulip trade in late 17th century Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Like you can't get involved. No. What one cares. a wild thing to expect from an audience. Yeah, right. <laughs> if I'm if I'm an economist touching myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it, man. If you're like a historical econo- economist, it's right up your alley. Which brings us to 2018. Alicia is in a movie called Tomb Raider, which is a big step in her career. Dane as our six months in, this was his choice. It was my choice. And uh, this is an action adventure film because if it was just an action film made after 1990, there's no way I would have watched it. <laughs> it is an adventure film and it's attached to an existing IP. So those are two things that will cause me to watch something that has action in it. It is directed by a guy named Roar Utog. And if you want to watch an action film, like a guy named Roar, R-O-A-R is probably <laughs> going to be good at directing that kind of thing. Uh, Better. I used to play, I don't know about you guys, but I used to play the Tomb Raider video game oh, yeah. um, on my mm-hmm. PlayStation 1 yeah. back in the day. I was kind of stoked to actually watch this one, um, even though I didn't watch the original ones with uh, Angelina Jolie. I thought that it was cool, actually, that they didn't really like objectify her in this movie and the casting choice. Mm-hmm. Definitely character over curves, um, as opposed to yeah. when Jolie was cast. Mm-hmm. Although interesting to note, both of them had won Best Supporting Actress Oscars prior to playing Lara Croft. Very international cast in this, and so I'm thinking that right away they kind of knew that this would be an international success as opposed to like a domestic windfall. So, like like I said, it made uh, 
only about 58 million here domestically and 275 worldwide. So, Damn. yeah. Um, I kept hoping, like in the video game, that there'd be lots of puzzles for her to solve in this movie. And kind of right away, her her father has disappeared when she was a teen. And so this young uh, Lara Croft, who's rich, but takes part in none of that. Um, she's like living as a bike courier for some reason and kind of being, I don't know, very unaccepting of her father's disappearance. She stumbles into um, a puzzle and learns about where he might be. And so the, the whole movie is her trying to find him and this mysterious tomb that he was uh, kind of hellbent on not having opened. Uh, I don't know why he went to the island if that was the case, but this movie has Walton Goggins as a bad guy. Oh, nice. You He's have to cast Walton Goggins as a bad guy. Yeah. If you if you have him in your movie. He's such a good bad guy. Yeah, he is. Um, and uh, did you guys ever see him on Vice Principles? Yep. Incredible. Uh, even as like a co-protagonist in that movie, he's still like, <laughs> you just hate him. <laughs> I really like this movie. I know a couple of the other guys saw it as well, so I will let you jump in. I would probably rate it like a 70 because I really dug just how easy it was to watch. It's not anything inventive at all. It's definitely following like an existing pattern that lots of other action movies about people who have um, are struggling with missing parents. I mean, believe it or not, there's a lot of movies like that. And this doesn't do much new, but it's it's cool to look at. And um, she's cool to look at as well. How does she do in this action role? I've, I haven't seen it. She should be beat up way more for the, like, she, like there's a scene where she, like, goes through unhinged, just, like, through a jungle, like, just hitting every branch on, like, 50 trees in a row. And she has, like, two scrapes when she gets up. <laughs> yeah, she gets the Hobbs and Shaw treatment, I see. Yeah, my, my critique of, of the movie is not her performance. I think she's more than up to the task of being an action star. It is how they tried to show in the movie it like her character's development and becoming Lara Croft Tomb Raider was like what you'd mentioned, like, oh, she walked through a jungle and got a little dirt on her. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, so, oh, here's a scene where she's swinging on ropes. So now she, you know she's an expert at swinging on rope. Like, how is this character development? Like, you're just showing me like little stories of that it prove, oh, she's great with a bow and arrow because I saw this one scene with the bow and arrow. I was like, I felt like there wasn't enough development for, you know, the origin story that they were going for. I felt like it was like really simple and not based on her performance, but based on like the story writing here where it's like, well, we need to let them know that, you know, money doesn't mean anything for her. So she doesn't accept her father's wealth. It was like, what? Why wouldn't you accept that wealth? Like, <laughs> I was like, well, I don't want to admit that he's died or whatever. I was like, yeah, you don't have to do that. You could just still take the money. Like I couldn't wrap my head around the decisions they made the character make for. I thought she did the best she could with that. And I think I'd rate it a little lower than you. I don't think much lower. Um, I'd probably put it in like the high 50s because it's well polished. I think the action scenes are cool. Um, I think they might be a little too choreographed where it's like every person involved in a fight is the most well-trained fighter of all. Like no one gets their ass kicked. It's like, oh, here's a guy doing 10 uh, UFC moves and then he's done. She's okay. Here's another guy doing 10 UFC moves. He's done. She's okay. Is anyone just going to like, oh, dude, I, I don't know what I'm, I'm just a fat schlub. And she just murders him. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, and that's like one of my critique of action. movies. Everyone knows how to fight. Everyone knows how to shoot. 
no one's just like a henchman who's just like yeah page yeah in. i'm with you i i hit oh. like uh, one time i hit a, a heavy bag for 20 seconds and i almost threw up so i don't understand how these people can like, run <laughs> yeah, right. and just, like beat the shit out of people but like <laughs> i i enjoyed the movie as well like like dang and I, I think it was just because like i didn't care about the backstory or any of that because you know, i remember the video games i remember all that and i i I can't. I know they wanted to kind of reboot this, but I guarantee the people who threw money at this were ones who already knew who she was. It was already this established fan base. So I think if that whole just kind of went over their heads with the character development, her firing the the bow and arrow and all that stuff, and she does. I mean, she does. She has a very good, like, strained scream. <laughs> like she she yells and she moans. Like falling, falling out of the sky and like landing on her back that would easily take the wind out of you. But she has this like really guttural like scream that's really strained. She does it the whole time, but it, it I believe it every single time she does. I was like, oh man, that that fucking hurts. Like I can I can feel I can feel her pain when she does it. <laughs> and, and so like it's uh it's like national treasure. You know, there's there's something going on. And, um, you know, it's you got this. You know, it's not as I care more about National Treasure because I'm like, oh, it's a way better movie. Indep- <laughs> and independence and like all this other stuff. And so that that's more of a, a defined story that I'm trying to follow. This one with the uh, you know the the crypt and it's you know they're letting out I don't know syphilis <laughs> or whatever that kills people. Coronavirus. Yeah, pretty much. You can. Fr- Probably say that they. they <laughs> That's where it started. Yeah. yeah. So, that I mean, set. like for me, it, it, it really is. Not <laughs> it be like that is a perfect FX like Sunday afternoon movie. Amen. Warren, you comparing this movie to National Treasure is grounds for potential removal. Gotta <laughs> 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 get a strip of Monson card, dude. I've only said National Treasure since that you're like you go here, you find this. It's also it's like Goonies. It, you go here, you've got this stuff in a tunnel, you're doing all this shit. That's the only similarity. You compared <laughs> this Tomb Raider to Goonies and National Treasure. I am insulted. Dude, give me a break, man. Goonies is a top five movie of mine of all time. And I would still put National Treasure ahead of this movie. I'm just saying, there's a similarity. 100%. So I mentioned I haven't seen Tomb Raider, but some interesting nuggets I learned doing research about her is that she beat out some pretty major actresses for that role. Right? It's hugely competitive. I think it was like seven or eight big-time actresses that she beat out. Um, the the other part of this is she gained like 12 pounds of just pure muscle for that role, too, over like three or four months. So, I mean, like anything else, these studios are going to pay for you to get your shit together, but to not be this tiny little Alicia Vikander twiggy thing, she had to actually live, you know, fucking bulk up for that. So I thought that, you know, that transformation, it's not quite Christian Bale putting on 150 pounds, but, you know, it, it's still impressive. Dude, she's an athlete, man. You don't, you know, mm-hmm. you don't try to become a professional ballerina just because you're bored. You do that because you actually have like a natural gift and a work ethic to get in shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 12, 12 pounds for her is easily like fifteen percent of her body weight. Yeah, percent. Yeah, she, she was broke probably one hundred twenty soaking wet at that point. Yeah. Time. Okay. Thanks, Dane. Her most recent work. She's been in two uh, more recent projects. She was in Earthquake Bird, which was a Netflix film. She played Lucy Fly. Didn't get a lot of fanfare. She learned Japanese for the film. Plays kind of an American, or I guess, I don't know what her 
nationality is in the film, but um, it's a murder mystery, essentially. Um, she learned Japanese, and it's a pretty for- forgettable film alt- altogether. She learned a whole other language for one film? She, yeah, she learned Danish for the Royal Affair, and she learned Japanese for that one. I don't know if she just memorized a lot of stuff, but it seemed pretty seamless. They could be saying whatever the fuck they want, as long as that's they true. put up that's some side holes. That's true. The rest of us could be ignorant as fuck. The Japanese viewers are like, what the hell is this gibberish? <laughs> they, they, jump, yeah, they jump over in that. She could be speaking fucking Klingon for all I know. This will come out all right. <laughs> so Riley Keough is also in the movie. The whole idea of Alicia Vikander's character is that she is well adjusted to being in Japan and understands the language really well and is teaching Riley Kilo's character how to speak Japanese. So it's not just a few line readings. It's her actually being pretty proficient in it. Also in 2019, she was in the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. She played a character named Mira. Now, it's a very minor character in the reboot. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Never heard of it. Um, I don't know. Even though if you were a fan of the Dark Crystal, the original film. Is it a TV show? I believe it is now. It's a Netflix show. So oh, okay. she was in that. Okay. There was an original movie, which I think is a cult class. People would consider a cult classic, right, Dane? I would because we did a show on it. <laughs> An episode. See? See, he knows. <laughs> See, he knows. With one of the original puppeteers, mind you. The 1982 version? Um, was it 82? I don't know. I'm that looking at these right. pictures. That's scary shit. Sounds right. Yeah, it's about a like, lot of scary looking puppets. But they did a, re- a reboot on Netflix. And I think the interesting part for you guys to know. Listen to this cast. Now, these are all uh, actors who played minor voice roles, so just smaller characters, right? Taron Edgerton, Anya Taylor-Joy, Simon Pegg, Benedict Wong, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, Keegan-Michael Key, Mark Hamill, Ralph Innocent, Aquafina, Len- Lena Headey, Mark Strong, Amy Samberg, Bill Hader, Helena Bonham Carter, Sigourney Weaver, Eddie Izzard, Theo James, Hannah John Kamen, Jason Isaacs, and Harvey, Harvey Fierstein. Like that... Those are all like one-shot characters. All these folks, apparently a big fan of the original movie and, and were in the show. So she's just one of many. All right, time to rate Alicia's career on the Munson meter. So for those who are first-time listeners, the way the Munson meter works, we rate them on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a number of factors. So we look at things like longevity. How long have they been in the game? How consistent have they been? We look at pop culture impact. We take a look at their range as an actor. We talk about awards footprint. We discuss if they have other talents. Do they write, produce, direct, sing, dance, whatever those things happen to be. Um, their personal life, right? Maybe we know a lot. Maybe we know nothing about their personal life. And then, um, and also looking at maybe some of their comedic angles. So uh, we're going to start with Case because last time he talked about wanting, not liking going last. So Case, you get to go first. You know, I, I'm a fan of the movies that we've watched of hers. I, I haven't been able to watch a whole lot outside of, of some of the major ones we've talked about. You know, I, I think what hurts her in, in my ratings is the movies that are, are more prevalent to to what I've been able to watch. You know, she just doesn't have a great body of work. Um, a lot of foreign films that, you know, I, I haven't heard of or haven't seen, i, I Really like the fact that, you know, she's a, a trained dancer. I think it translates well for her to be a, being a potential action, sc- action star. And I think we saw that in Tomb Raider. We saw it a little bit in Seventh Son. You know, I, I think she's got the ability to be very athletic, very powerful, very graceful. Um, and, and I think the thing that proves 
well with her that as as with other actresses and actors we've looked at, you know, she continues to get better roles. You know, I, I think she's going to be really successful, but I, I don't really feel like she's been in the game or on the radar that much. Um, she's a very private person, so we don't know a lot about her personally. Although I will say I, I did see a lot of stuff about her um, trying to be more empowering and and working with a lot of other females about about uh, workplace equity in, in Hollywood. So I, I'm a fan of that. But based on everything that we evaluate on, I'm going to give her a 67. James, to go for what Craig said, I think my initial thought was I did not feel like she was a household name. I still don't feel like she's a household name, but my thoughts have changed uh, about her as an actress in general. Um, when I first heard we were doing it, I was like, oh, she was just an ex machina. And as I stated before, I am clearly an idiot. Uh, she's been in many great movies and had a tremendously hot start to her career, including a well-deserved Academy Award um, for The Danish Girl, where she was able to show such emotion and such a range of emotions from being tough and sassy to fragile to emotionally confused and destroyed and depressed all in one film. I thought it was amazing. I think that her talents outside of acting are pretty cool, although we don't know that much about it. You know, a professional ballerina trained to be a chess master. Kyle, you mentioned she learned Japanese for the hell of it, um, speaks multiple languages. But other than that, like, you know, she's not on social media. Her personal life is very private. I don't think at the moment, even though she has leading actress roles, you, I don't know that many people who know her by name value just alone. Um, I think that holds her back uh, from getting a higher score for me. But she's the making of a long-term movie star. If she can keep the longevity going, I think this rating will go up substantially. But I am still also a little bit higher on than cases, and I gave her an 80. Dane, our f- first featured guest, what do you got for the months and me? So I've seen two of her movies, and that makes me qualified to do this. One, that's the months and way. <laughs> it's two more than Steve would have seen. So <laughs> right, you're, right. You're well ahead of it. Let's go with uh, longevity. So she's pretty young and hasn't really had a chance to like amass a huge resume, as, as opposed to somebody like a what could have been Robert Duvall, you know. But um, what she has done is very nice. But you do, you guys do rate pop cultural impact. Um, you take that into account, it sounds like. On the international side, she's huge. But the USA mm-hmm. is the barometer for pop culture in, in the world, I think. Um, especially when it comes to the movies. And she just hasn't really hit here yet. And that's why she's not a household name. Uh, she does get, get the Oscar bump of five points from me. Um, being married to Michael Fassbender is great for her personal life uh, because he's an awesome actor and I haven't heard bad things about him. Uh, I'm going to give her like a 70. It's a good strong score. It's much higher than I would probably give if I was on your show. Probably. Cause, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Warren. Oh, uh, fuck me. Um... That's the sigh of a man who's going to give a lower score. Yeah. That's what I hear. Um, so, like, honestly, if it, before this, hearing her name, the only thing I would have thought of were Ex Machina and uh, Tomb Raider. Those are the only two that I could tie tie to her name. You know, and, and so I think that shows where she stands now because I definitely consider myself more of 
you know, a, a film person than like the even more average Munsa. Uh, and so, you know, that, that whole pop culture thing, you know, that, that sets her back personal life. She's got, she's really interesting. That's cool. God damn. I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I, I just, for me, I will never watch a single one of these movies ever again, except for, I'll watch Tomb Raider again, and I'll probably watch Ex Machina again. Uh, I just, I just, I, I can't get over the the movies, and yeah, I'm, I'm giving her a fifty three. I love, I like, and honestly, most of that is straight up the uh, her role in um, the Danish Girl, like that. That is saving her. In my book, I think she has the potential. I'm just, she's super vanilla to me, and. There, there, I, I just can't get over that at this point. I know that's going to bring it down quite a bit, but okay. if it weren't, for, if it, if this is our most disagreed one, if it weren't, if it weren't for a royal affair, man, she could be, she could be pushing forty. <laughs> hey, perfectly valid, man. I like it. Rigby, what do you got? You guys have all met, hit on some important points. Um, yeah, I think it's his wonder. I think this is the first, not only Oscar winner that we've done, but I think this is the first, like. This is the first predominantly international actor we've done as well. Um, and I think it takes a lot to be able to do both. Um, to have, a, have a presence in the, in the American film scene, but also a, a, an even bigger presence on the international stage. And I think she's carved out a nice alley there. I hadn't seen a lot. I'd seen Ex Machina, and I, I watched it again this week, and I forgot how good it was. Um, but I hadn't really seen you know, any, anything with her that was memorable other than the Danish girl, um, you know, Anna Karenina is whatever. That was one of her first roles. So I can't really dock her too much points. Her first American, her first like non, uh, Swedish roles. So I can't really dock her too many points for that. But I think starring in movies like Tomb Raider, I think her presence on the American film stage is only getting bigger. Um, and obviously like, like Dane said, she does get the Oscar bump for me because I'm a, I'm sort of an Oscar hound as well. So I'm going to go 76. I want to do higher, but to be honest, I haven't seen enough of I haven't seen enough of her Swedish movies to really go higher yet. So I think that's a fair score for an Oscar winner and someone who's sort of had a seamless transition from you know a big uh, someone who's been in big box office movies internationally, um, who's sort of carving their way to to start them here in the, in the States. So while I do see sort of what Warren is trying to say, I think, um, I think 76 for someone like her is, is a fair score, but I'm open for disagreements, obviously. Yeah. You can always change it if you need to, by the time we finish this up. So, um, a few notes that I'll, I'll put out there when it came to my rating for her, um, you guys will find this funny. Uh, she, I was listening to an interviewer at the, and she said the worst movie she's ever seen was Freddy Got Fingered. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> good thing you went last because that could have ruined <laughs> my score. <laughs> so I thought that was a fun little nugget. Um, I'm just, yeah, glad, right. she I'm just I, glad she watched I'll it. I'll tell you, my score got higher the more I watched her in interviews and saw her in different segments because you could tell she's a pretty genuine down to earth human. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, so I watched these, uh, have you guys ever seen those YouTube videos? Like the answering the web's most prolific question where they give them like these Google searches and they talk about the things people are Googling about them. Have you ever seen those? Yeah. Yes, I have. 
So I'll watch those and you can usually tell pretty quickly if someone's an asshole in real life or not based on how they respond to certain basic questions. None of that came about with her. Like every question handled in stride, even if it was terrible grammar, things are misspelled and it's just a silly, foolish question. She was just like, yeah, I'm genuinely happy to answer that question, which she doesn't have to do. She can be sassy and sarcastic, be an ass if she wanted to. But I think that's a testament to her path and her background, uh, working so hard to get where she's at now. And given she won an Oscar at such a young age, um, I got to give her some cred there too. So I like she's not on social media. I like she's private. I like that she's inaccessible. She was on Instagram for like, uh, I'm going to give her 70, which Warren, what does that take us to in terms of an average score for Vikander? That puts her in a 69.3, which puts her uh, in fifth behind Joseph Gordon-Levitt and ahead of Regina Hall. This is usually when James goes to sounds right. Well, I was going to say, that's definitely the most contentious scoring we've ever had. Usually we're like pretty close to each other. That was like a 30-point gap. Em- embrace the, uh, the difference in opinion. Well, Warren, tell us a little bit about some of the projects she's got coming up here. Yeah, so as mentioned during birthdays, she's got The Green Knight coming out um, with Dev Patel. That should be pretty interesting. Uh, first trailers came out. That's It's pretty bonkers. Uh, then Born to be Murdered uh, with John David Washington. That I, I like John David Washington, so I'm, I'm in on anything he's in. Then uh, Blue Bayou, a drama. Don't really know anything about it. Then uh, uh, Tomb Raider 2. Hopefully that, uh, that all happens. And uh, we, we get to pick back up where Lara Croft left off. Which I'm sure will come with a huge marketing trip on all the late night shows. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, we are uh, we're going into episode eight. We've got five actors that we pulled from the list. Those five are Bradley Whitford, Francis McDormand, Adam Scott, who is making his second appearance on the list, Bill Paxton, a uh, definitely a Munson's favorite, and James Marsden, fellas, and including Dane. <laughs> what are your initial thoughts on that list, Francis? Man. I'm on board with that as well. I think Francis would be the ideal choice. She she would be great, but I, I just I gotta get Paxton. Yeah, Paxton would be awesome. Rest in peace, right? It hurts to say that because I know my brother is a future guest as well, and he's dying to do that. I would love to talk about Paxton anytime. I also want to see somebody have to talk about Ella Enchanted with James Marsden. <laughs> <laughs> I love Enchanted. I'll I'll just call it out for now. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, like I, I think we it. talked about this on the last podcast. He's been in more than you think. Bradley Whitford. I haven't seen a ton of his stuff, so of, the, of those actors, he's the one where I feel like I would venture into the new territory. In a lot of ways, get out. Yeah, a lot of like mid to late nineties movies and then get out that's all i didn't really know about it <laughs> well revenge of the nerds too i hope you guys yeah. talk about revenge, yeah. of, the nerds revenge of the nerds too <laughs> he's also a main character on the west wing for like a decade yeah oh yeah that's probably what he's most known for yeah i feel like that and billy madison, billy madison yeah yep. <laughs> <laughs> shut up carl regardless it, it, it'll be a fun discussion whoever the the will decides so the we will, decide. uh, the wheel will decide here in a week or so. Our next podcast will hit on May 7th. We will have another guest. We will have Chip Hessenflow from Too Much Scrolling, another friend of the podcast. And of the two from Too Much Scrolling, there's Steve Foder and Chip Hessenflow. Love you, Steve, but Steve uh, watches no movies. So it wouldn't <laughs> provide us any value. Uh, 
Chip covers all the movies for their podcast, so I know Chip would at least do the research and come in ready to roll. Steve would participate in the conversation. It would be great, but he wouldn't have much to offer in terms of being able to watch anything. So we love you, Steve, but we'll we'll let Chip steal the steal the show. But Dane, we appreciate you, brother. Thanks for uh, joining us on this uh, this journey here. Thank you for having me. Check us out at cf3pod.com. We talk to famous people all the time. Famous people like Steve Foder. and and slightly less famous people like d wallace from et and the howling you guys have had a ton of of actors and other folks in the industry join your podcast and so for our listeners please do follow cf3 especially if you're a big cult film fan they they cover some really interesting uh, performances and movies well that'll wrap up episode seven as always you can find us on twitter at munson's at movies you can find us on instagram at munson's at the movies you can email us at munsonsatthemovies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson? So I just want to say, I don't think the Tomb Raider is anything like National <laughs> <laughs> I think if we listen back to this, that's exactly what he said. That is not what I said. And the Goonies is nothing like either of them. Like, in a to- total picture. It's just like, hey, here's a, here's a treasure map. Here's this. There we go. That's the only thing that's the same. You ruined Let the record week. stand. <laughs> I will. All right. As James is, I will fight you. Yeah, it's on site. <laughs> I will fight you to the death. All right, Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity.